even though the Bible uses different words to describe the salvation in Jesus. Now, dear friends, what is so important is not so much that whether you can give a definition of propitiation or redemption, but that you learn to apply the gospel right into your heart so that you'll be saved for time and for eternity. The friends, the things we are talking about here is of vital importance. You understand it? You believe in Christ? You will have a blessed eternity with the Lord. You don't understand it? You don't believe in Christ? You will everlasting condemnation. And I say the most important thing is for us to learn to apply this to us. And at the heart of this is what Luther and others have called a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness, a righteousness not my own, but outside of my now weapon to be mine and I'm forgiven. I'm reconciled to God. Now, yesterday I read of this true story of a, uh, a murderer, a very bad character. He committed murder, was arrested, he was in prison. While in prison, somehow, by the work of the Holy Spirit, he came under conviction of sin. And he repented of his sins. And he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So eventually the day came for his execution. Yes, and he lived in days when they got capital punishment. So he was let out to be executed, I guess, by hanging. And as usual, there was a crowd surrounding him, watching this uh, hanging, more or less as an entertainment. And this man, on his way to the gallows, spoke to the crowd. He says, God is a great forgiver. Great is, God is a great forgiver. I know. Now, God will not lay anything against me because Jesus paid all. Perfect love casts out fear. I have no fear to face death and to face my God. God has forgiven me because Christ has paid it all. What do you think of that? Now that is applying the gospel to one's heart. But there are many who say, well, this is not good. This whole teaching that even a murderer can say I'm forgiven and I can go to face death without fear. This whole teaching of the gospel, justification by faith, is completely wrong. Because it encourages others to sin. You say, even a murderer got forgiven like that. Then others will say, well, I can commit murder. I can do all sorts of crime. And then I just believe Jesus uh, 
After I commit all those things, and I shall be saved, I shall not be condemned. This whole teaching is wrong, and it promotes sins. It promotes lawlessness. When Martin Luther discovered the gospel, and the other reformers and the people as well came to this understanding of an alien righteousness, the Church of Rome, the Church of Rome, I like to call it Church of Rome, not the Catholic Church, because Catholic Church means the Universal Church. They are not the Universal Church. No, they are only a branch of the Christian Church. Now, perhaps not even that. Well, anyway. The Church of Rome, in those days and in our days, say that sort of teaching is harmful. It promotes sins. It encourages people to live a lawless life. You should never say to people, you believe in Jesus and you are safe and you can be sure of that. Never say that. Tell them, yes, Jesus died for sinners, but you do your best and try better and hopefully you can make it. And of course we have never really paid enough for our sins in this life. So after death there is purgatory. Purgatory. It could be as bad as hell, but it was a limited duration. You see my dear friends, that is the official teaching. And in the official teaching, they actually condemn people like me who teach of a free justification by faith in Jesus. Well, preaching here, preaching what I'm preaching now, I stand under the condemnation of the Church of Rome. Now, that is not rubbishing other people. That is a plain fact. I'm not saying that all women in Catholic will hate me, not that, but the official teaching, the official position of the church condemns this sort of teaching. And the argument seems to be sound. You believe in Jesus? Jesus died for all your sins, past, present and future? That certainly will promote people to live a lawless life. And it seems the so-called evangelical church or evangelical Christianity confirmed that sort of uh, indictment against free justification. Look at the so-called evangelical Christianity. There are so many scandals. There are so many terrible things which happen among so-called gospel-believing Christianity. Greed, money, dishonesty, immorality, all kinds of things. And they say loudly they believe in justification by faith. So what's, what's the solution? Now before we go to the solution in chapter 6, let me just summarize to you the first five chapters of Romans. Where Paul teaches powerfully the doctrine of justification by faith. Now friends, I want to ask you, how long have you been, have you been a Christian? You may say to me, well, five years, ten years or more. Now can you tell me, just out of your memory, the first five chapters of Romans? 
Can you do that? I almost tempted to ask one of you to come up and tell us. No, I will not do that. Now, friend, you should be able. If you're not able, shame on you, and you better learn well. But let me repeat this to you. I'll repeat this as long as I live. The first five chapters of Romans are really simple. First of all, Paul says, all men are sinners. And the men included women and children, okay? All humanity is under sin. And no one can by their works be justified by God. But now, there's a righteousness from God as a gift. The righteousness of Christ that when we believe in Him, we shall be justified. And then Paul goes on to cite the grand example of Abraham. Abraham was a great hero of the Jews in those days, and still now. And Paul says, look at what scripture says. Abraham believed in God, and he was justified. Justification by faith. And then, in chapter 5, Paul talks about the consequences of being justified by faith in Christ. And that is peace with God. So, now, can you tell me the first five chapters of Romans? Can you? I will pitch it. The first three chapters, the sinfulness of humanity. At the end of chapter 3, justification by faith in Christ. Chapter 4, the example of Abraham being justified by faith. Chapter 5, the blessings of being justified by faith. Now whether you can or cannot repeat this is not of the greatest importance. The important is you really apply it to your own hearts. Let me tell another story of a famous theologian. His name is David Dixon, a Scottish theologian, I think in the 17th century. He was a professor of divinity, professor of theology at the University of Edinburgh. So he was not a murderer, right? He was a good man. He was a professor of theology, and he was dying. Now in those days, if you were a famous Christian, or even a normal believer, when you are dying, people are going to ask you things like this. Now, how do you feel? How's your faith? How are you doing? Can you feel? What is your concern? So people ask David Dixon, is that bad? How are you feeling now? What is relationship with God? And this man, Professor Dixon, David Dixon, he replied, I put all my good works and all my bad works into one heap. And I fled from that. I went to Jesus. And our peace with God. You got it? This man, David Dixon, he did not put his good deeds on one hand, bad deeds on another hand, and learn and try to trust his good deeds. 
Oh, when now it's bad, it's no, he put them all together, I say. I put them all together, I run away from them, I run to Jesus, I have peace. Learn the skill to have peace with God in this world. Now we come to this objection. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, the objection is this. The argument against justification by faith is this. Well, you will have told people to sin. And shall we continue to sin? The, the objective's reasoning is this. The more you sin, the more grace you have, the more you glorify God, right? How does Paul understand? Paul was disgusted by such a suggestion. He says, how can it be? How can it be that someone who believes in Jesus can continue in sin at all? The grace may abound. Don't you know that he who believes in Jesus has become united to his death? Now friends, I've been asking you this question many a times, and some of you know this answer well. But let me ask you again. What do you get when you believe in Jesus? What do you get when you believe in Jesus? If you say, well, when I believe in Jesus, I have forgiveness of sins. I say, well, when I believe in Jesus, I have peace. Mm, okay. When I believe in Jesus, I got a new group of friends, my Christian friends. Mm, yes. But if your answer goes on like that, you have not got to the heart of the problem. Oh no, not the heart of not part of the question, I just said. You know what you get when you believe in Jesus? When you believe in Jesus, you get Jesus. You become united to Christ in His death and resurrection. And because of your union with Christ in His death and resurrection, you got forgiveness of sin. You got peace. You got this new circle of friends and so on and so forth. When we believe in Christ, we believe into Him, we receive Christ into our hearts, into our life, and we get Jesus. Does, does that make any change to your life? Does believing in Jesus make any change to your life? It'll be something like you are someone who got married. Now a few years down the track, uh, he has children. And you ask him this question. Now so and so, you are married. Is there any difference to your life after you got married? 
Any difference? Now, that person will say to you, what a stupid question you ask. It's nonsense. Of course, my life is different. My whole life is changed. Now I've got a wife, now I've got children. My whole existence has been changed. Now I don't have the freedom to spend as much money as I used to before. There is a financial controller. controller. Now, even my whole uh, way of it, uh, life is changing. I used to go to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. Now I have to go to bed at 9. Now, even my diet has to change. I never eat any spicy hot food. But now, well, it's a spicy hot food every meal. You see? You got the point? In days gone by, there were married men. After they got married, they wanted to remain single. They lived like single. So after work, that was years ago, not now. After work, these men would say, well, I'll go to the pub, have fun with my friends and have drinks. Uh, and then I spent all my money in the pub. I got home, I won't care less about the wife or the children. I won't do anything to help them, to provide for them. I would like to remain single. You know, that sort of life is actually wrong, is it not? This man will go into trouble very soon, and surely his wife and children are not going to be happy. So look at this. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. My dear friends, what is the meaning of baptism? Whether you were baptized as a child, whether you were baptized as an adult, the meaning of baptism, what it ought to signify is this. You were baptized into Christ. Notice the passive voice there. You say, what is passive voice? Pastor? Oh, maybe you can ask one of our teachers here. Or people who are learning grammar. Notice the passive voice. You were baptized into Christ, into his death. God baptized you into Christ. You were married to Christ. Now you are his, and you were actually baptized into his death. Now I'll give you a negative example. And you'll get it. And this is true. A certain lady lawyer in Hong Kong told me about the lifestyle of her friends. She said to well, her girlfriend got married, uh, they were lawyers, but after they got married, they went back to respective homes. Husband will live in husband's family, wife will live with wife family. In weekend, they may come out together uh, for some uh, dinner or so on, but weekdays, they go back to their homes. I say, what? what? Why? Oh, she said, because whoever's the law in Hong Kong is so happy. 
so burdensome. You have to work such long hours, and you know, after long hours, you go home, and then you lose your temper, you get angry, you have a tantrum, your uh, husband cannot stand for them. So, these girls go back to their own homes, you fall a tantrum at mother and father, well, they have to bear that. It's okay, you won't break the relationship permanently. And uh, so, that is how they act. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? I wish to end just Should it be like that? I don't think so. It should not be so. It's where we strange, where we are. It's uh, crazy. So friend, coming back, woman says, the teaching of the Bible is this. When you and I believe in Christ, we were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death, we belong to him. And if I may outline this to you, the teaching of the New Testament is this. Christ died, as the believer says, Christ died for me. Alright? If you're a believer this morning, you say, Christ died for me. I die with a ED in him. I die past tense with him. Now you've got a Bible open. Look at Romans chapter 6. Let me read to you a few things. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our own man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Verse 7. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, and so on, have you not noticed? All these are in the past tense. Now I hope you know what is past tense. You know that, isn't it? We know that. It happened already. The believer says, Christ died for me, past tense. And I have died, past tense, in Him. I died with Him. And not just in Romans chapter 6, it's also elsewhere in the rest of the, of the New Testament. For example, Galatians 6.14. Paul says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul says, I boast in the cross of Jesus, by Jesus, the world has been crucified to me, and I crucified to the world. Are you still with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels me, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all You got that? One died for all, 
Christ died for all believers in Him, all His people, all die. One more. Galatians 2 20. How does it go? I have been crucified with Christ. That is not just the past tense, it's the perfect tense. What does the perfect tense mean? It happened, and the consequence lies. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, my dear friends, let us get this clear. This is the fundamental position of the believer. This is not some advanced status of the believer. We start off with this. We start off by faith in Christ and our co-crucifixion with Him. Remember what Jesus says? Whoever decides to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You want to follow me? You have to deny yourself? You have to take up the cross? What is the cross? Not a little ornament. It's there. You want to follow me? You have to believe into me? You have to receive me? You have to be identified with me in my crucifixion. I die for you. And when I die for you, you were in me. You were included in me. Now, friends, I want to ask you, do you get it? I'll tell you this. It's hard to get it. On the face of it, it is so simple. But to actually apply to your own heart, it's not that easy. Let me tell you another story. I want to help you. There was an evangelist in China called Watchman Lee. He was a godly man, he was an evangelist, he was all keen for the Lord, and he was struggling. Until one day he read Romans 6, and then he jumped up and down, he said, Oh, now I know I have died. And he said, I want to run out and tell the whole city of Shanghai I have died. I want to tell people, Watchman Lee has died. Isn't that good news? He said, what is, so, what is he so excited about? You get it. I think what he was so excited about is this. He was struggling and, and laboring and he feel condemned. He believed in Christ, but he doesn't have that sort of freedom in Christ. He feels still condemned by the law and he still feels under the bondage and domain of sin until he realized. In fact, long ago, he has already died of Jesus 
sin no longer has dominion over him. He set free from that dominion. Now, coming back. The woman says, what process is this? When Christ died, he died to sin once for all. You know what happened when Jesus died? Before his death, while he was on the cross, sinners claimed over him because of all the sins of his people. And he has to bear the suffering and the curse and the condemnation. But once he died, he has paid all. Sin no longer has dominion over him. He set free from the dominion of sin. And Jesus died no more. He died no more. And that's why the woman Catholic Mass is such a blessing. Because the church of Rome says in their mass, they're offering up the body and blood of Jesus again. So Jesus did not die once. He had to suffer repeatedly, his body and flesh being offered every time the mass is said. For what? Blasphemy, that is. You got it? Okay, we move on. Just one more thing you bear with me. When you and I believe in Jesus, we are not only identified with his death, we become united to his life. You know, so many people are afraid to become Christians. They're saying, I can't, I can't live the Christian life. It is so demanding. I can't live that sort of life. It is an impossible life. And friends, you are right. The Christian life is an impossible life. You cannot live it. No, you can't. You cannot live it in your own strength. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now let's go back to Romans 6 again. Verse 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism in the death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, suddenly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 8. If we died with him, we believe we shall also live with him. You see, believers united with Christ not just with his death, but also in his life. Christ died for me, I died with him, I died in him, but now I live in him. I live by the power of God. Let me tell you the secret about the Christian life. 
The Christian life is the life of God in the soul of man. You don't live by your own strength. You live by Christ's strength. The resurrection life of Jesus is flowing into your life. You live on Him. You draw from Him. Galatians 2, 20. Again, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a key text. Memorize. Learn the living. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live now. It does not deny identity because it goes on to say, the life which I now live now, I live by faith in Christ. It's Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, by now, I know it's heavy going. Let me put it in an illustration like this to you. Some years ago, I was in a Bible study with a group of many older people, older than me. And we would look at a number of passages, and I say, well, you remember in that passage, well, where's the reference about this or that? And there was a lady in that Bible study She's older than me a few years, so she's not young. She could follow the Bible references as soon as I asked the question. I said, this is amazing. How do you actually do that? Oh, she said, it's simple. I just Google search. And I find, oh, you Google it. Yes. When you are asking the question, I Google it and I find an answer before you finish the question. So it is not you who find it. No. <laughs> yes. I Google it. I find an answer. You see? It's not she who does it in her own strength. It's the whole such engine behind her. And Google is not just a name, it's a verb. You Google it. You are connected with that powerful search engine and you find it. Now friends, this is the Christian life. You don't live by your own strength. But you don't Google it. You act by faith. I entrust myself to Christ and I draw from Christ and He gives me the strength. He gives me the energy. He carries me on through life and through death all the way to glory. I will definitely finish with this. 
Now some of you say, Pastor, I am not a technology person. I don't like the Google, or the internet, or the Wi-Fi. I don't know what you are talking about. Now I'm going to talk about an ancient piece of technology, which I'm sure all of you use. All right? I don't care how much you hate technology, you use that. It was a hot day. It was hot outside. You, you were sweating all over you. You came home, dirty, smelly, thirsty. What do you do? You turn on your water tank. Got the water, drain water. You have a shower. You have a towel. Cool yourself down. Isn't that very ancient technology? Faith is turning on that water tank. For many years, we got a water tank outside the hall, but it hasn't got a handle because we were afraid that people might just turn it on and waste water. It was so inconvenient. We got a water tank, no use. Couldn't wash our car, couldn't use it to do any cleaning. Eventually, I asked a humble friend here, I said, well, please put on a handle. Now we got the handle. You park your car there, you can wash your car. Get a bucket, get a hose. But what do you have to do? Turn on the That is faith in Jesus. You get the water for cleansing for your thirstiness. I hope you get it. And you actually get Christ as well. Jesus our God. In his name we pray. Amen.